Open your Bibles this morning to Philippians chapter 2. I may have mentioned a few of these things last week. I don't remember for sure exactly what all came out or how it came out. But one of the things you learn when you live in a 35-foot motorhome with a family of nine for 11 weeks, one of the things you learn is that it takes a lot of learning how to defer to other people. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the word deference. I don't know that my children were super familiar with the word deference before our trip, but I'm pretty sure if you ask them now for a definition of deference, they can tell you because we talked about deference a lot. My wife and I talked about deference a lot when we were on our trip. We have to learn how to defer to each other. Now, I want to be careful when I say things like this because it's not always fair to have the guy up here talk and give examples from his own life, especially when it's not just about him. But I'm part of this equation too. So it's not just my children. It's not just my wife for sure. I'm part of this. We came to a point in our, in our travels, and we were having a great time. We were having lots of fun together. But we came to a point when we realized something has to give because we're living together. We're away from home. We're out of routine. We're missing our friends. We're missing our family. We're missing people back here. And we just found ourselves not being super kind to each other all the time. We found ourselves not being super patient with each other. We found ourselves talking to each other in a tone of voice that kind of made it obvious that we thought they were pretty dumb. And of course, not only because it's true for life in general, it's true if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, but it's really true when you're living together in a motorhome and you're not going to really be apart from each other for the next, you know, say six, seven, eight, nine weeks still. You just can't be like that. You just can't. That, that, that can't happen. I mentioned last week that uh, I discovered some things about myself, and one of those things, I think I used to use the word soft. Um, I don't know if I used the word discontent, but content was a huge theme of our trip too. Almost everything you own, you don't have with you. You get to choose from about five or maybe six sets of clothing with what you're going to wear today. You may have a choice of four or five things of what you're going to eat today, and that's it. There are places you're not going to go because your motorhome doesn't fit. There are things you're not going to have time to go see. There's things that uh, you're just not going to get to. Or in a family of nine, there's things that you may want to really, really do and you're not going to get to because not very many other people in the family want to. So we have to learn to have deference and to be content. So that's intro side number one. Intro side number two is while I was on sabbatical, I didn't do a ton of reading. I did some more than I do at home usually. But one of the little things I read, it's a little tiny little book uh, that's about this thick, about this big. I have some extra copies. If anybody wants a copy, I'd be glad to give it to you. I can always order some more. Um, but it was a book called Humility by Andrew Murray. Has anybody read Humility by Andrew Murray? If you have not read Humility by Andrew Murray, you should definitely do that. Um, let me just summarize it this way. I've used a different phrase that I probably should not use when I'm when I'm preaching up here, but let me, just, let me just summarize that book this way. I read that book, and it demolished me. Like it destroyed me. Like I was sitting in my, in my uh, chair out beside the motorhome reading it, or maybe I think one time I was in the motorhome, but we were out, out beside the motorhome, and I had to stop reading, and I just, like, I just started weeping. I don't know what you think about yourself. 
I know what I think about myself. And there's times when I have this idea that I have things sort of together. I've been a pastor for 17 years, full-time for 13 years. I get in the mode where I think, like, I kind of know how to do some of this stuff. And I came to a really unfortunate reality that there is a lot more ugly pride in my life than I wish there was. Though I didn't know it at the time, because I was, truthfully, I was not thinking about these meetings at that time. And I didn't know it at that time, but at that time, I think the Lord began to plant seeds inside. So that when I came home and I did begin to think about it, it, wasn't, it didn't take me very long to think about the fact that it's time for me to be honest about you know, stuff with me. And it's time for us to have a journey together around the subject of humility. You know, the words like deference and contentment actually are based on or feed out of this word humility. Actually, I'm just going to sort of spoil the entire, like, five sessions we're going to be together by telling you that it is my premise that everything we're going to talk about and every bit of our Christian life comes out of this word. It's a sad state because I think in a lot of Christianity, we don't talk about humility that much. We don't teach on it that much. We don't emphasize it that much. We certainly don't long for it that much. We certainly don't put it on a place where we say, if I don't have this one thing, then I haven't arrived yet as a Christian. If I don't have this, nothing else is going to follow. And it is my proposition to you that that is exactly how it should be. If I have not learned humility, if I have not waited on the Lord until he has granted me humility, and I'm being very specific about how I say that as we're going to go through, we're going to develop this. As we, if I have not learned how to wait and allow the Lord to develop humility in me, then I have not yet gone or arrived at the place that God wants me to be as a believer. I think humility, it's the subtitle of my message for this morning, The Glory of Mankind, and you'll, we'll explain that as we go through. So all week we're going to be in this text in Philippians chapter 2. It's not a, like, it's a well-known text. So when I say we haven't taught it, I mean, I'm sure you have heard on it. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 all week long, uh, just the first 11 verses. Now, we won't stay there all week long. We're going to go to lots of other places. And in fact, maybe this morning you're going to think we hardly even touched this passage. And maybe too true, we didn't. But I will read it for us every single session we get together because it's the foundation for where we are going. Follow now with me. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul writes this to the Philippian believers. I read them to you today, this morning, to the believers here. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, if you've entered into the Christian experience, is what that's kind of telling you. If there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, if you've entered into the Christian experience, he says this then, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he, Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh, Father, I come to you this morning. I come to you on behalf of this congregation here that, and, and asking you that you would speak to us from your word. And I ask that very specifically because it has become abundantly clear to me that in my own life I have this problem, that I need to grow in humility, that I need to, to further press in to have the mind of Christ. And if that's true, then that means I am not a vessel equipped to deliver any kind of exhortation to these brothers and sisters, to these people that are here. Here today. So my prayer simply is, God, would you help me to become nothing before you? Would you help me to move out of the way so that you might be preeminent? That the glory of who you are, oh, I don't want to steal a bit of the majesty and glory of who you are, God, of what you've done, Christ Jesus, and of the beautiful, beautiful work you do inside of us, Holy Spirit. Help me to stay aside. May you shine forth from these pages. May your spirit guide us and lead us and break us and cause us to agree that we should have this mind that Jesus himself had. God, if it means that I just be quiet and you... You have your time with the, here with us this morning, I will. Your word is clear. It's only those who wait upon you who will have their strength renewed, who will rise up wings of eagles, who will run and not grow weary, walk and not faint. Thank you, Father, for being so gracious and faithful to us and meeting us in our great need. Would you speak from your word this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. I'm astounded. Uh, I shouldn't be. <laughs> I shouldn't be, but I'm astounded at God's ability to say more to us in moments of silence than in all the words I'll say in an hour. Let me say one more thing before we jump in. Typically when I do these kinds of things, I go into churches and I preach these 
revival series, renewal series meant to invigorate new believers or invigorate existing believers and bring any new believers uh, that the Lord would want to bring to saving knowledge of Jesus. Typically, I go into an environment where I know very few people and I have the, the privilege or the blessing or the, 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 the safety of being able to say anything I want because I don't know the people. And I can say very clearly that if, if, if something happens in your heart, if something is done on your end of things, if, if I step on your toes or I, something, it, I don't know, I could usually say that. I became aware of that this week when I was just aware that people began to think about the fact that I'm here with my own congregation and I do know you. So I beg of you, please. My, my endeavor, my position has not changed. It is still my goal to only say the things the Holy Spirit is saying to me. So if that strikes a chord in you, if that convicts you, if that steps on your toes or offends you, or then I still didn't say it because I know something about you and I said it to you. Have this mind. You know, in some sense, and by the very word, renewal means a renewal, which means you've already been there. So in some sense, we're talking to people, to those of you who have already decided to follow Christ. And, and, and this is aimed at renewing and stirring up in your hearts that you would say afresh again, yes, I am nothing, Jesus is everything. Yes, I will give my whole life for him, gladly. So without a doubt, that's, 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 a, that's the major thrust. Now, if you were here this morning and you don't, yet follow Jesus. You have not sincerely trusted in Jesus. You haven't given your life to him yet. Uh, don't, this is still for you because there'll be plenty of moments for you to come alongside and join us. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. Depending on what translation you read, it might say have this mind among yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus. A little subtle difference, not much, but a little subtle difference because the, the other version that's not up here is saying very clearly that the mindset we're talking about was in Jesus. This one is saying you also can have that same mindset when you are in Jesus. I think they're both true, so I do not quibble about that very much. We need to jump in because we're going to have to lay a broad foundation this morning about a lot of things that we're going to go back and sort of touch base again as we go through the week. I believe that scriptures teach that there are actually three reasons, three overarching, three big main reasons that you and I cannot, should not uh, argue with about why we should have humility in our lives. Three big things that I think are evident from scripture that we should be able to look at each other as believers in Jesus Christ and say, it is unquestionably true that we ought to be humble that we ought to have humility. In fact, it ought to be the defining characteristic of us. Let me share briefly these three things. We're gonna dig into each one a little bit this morning, and again, they're gonna set the stage. I think reason number one is because we are God's creatures, because God created us, and all of things, everything that God created was to bring Him glory. And when you talk about language like that, that it's meant for His glory, that, that rolls off our tongues all the time, right, as believers. It's for God's glory. Let God get all the glory. Let, but you know what you're saying when you say that? You're saying that that means I get none of it. It has nothing to do with me, and that's a reason for us to be humble, to have humility. We're His creatures. It all belongs to him. We are nothing. He is everything. You're going to hear that phrase probably lots of times. We are God's creatures. Secondly, I think, uh, it's pretty self-evident, we are sinners. There's a need for humility because we are sinners. Because if God is perfect, we are not. We make mistakes. I guess you could probably, I'm guessing you could probably think of something just this past week that you did something that hurt somebody. You said something that, after you said it, you thought, I probably should not have said that. 
You did something that later you thought, I hope you've already realized it. Maybe you haven't even realized it yet. You thought, that probably wasn't the kindest thing I've ever done. True or not true? I don't want to talk to a dead audience this morning. True or not true? So we have a need for humility because we don't get it all right. Thirdly, I'm going to tell you, I'm hoping the scripture is going to reveal to us that we are to have humility because we are redeemed. Now, I want you to look at that list a little bit. I didn't dig much into that last one. I want you to look at that list for a little bit because I dare say, I dare say, most times in the church when we talk about humility, it is number two that we bring out all the time. We should be humble because we're sinful people. Very true, by the way. Very, very true. However, if that is the only impetus for you and I to show humility in our lives, think for a moment how catastrophic that could be. What happens when you begin to think, I've cleaned my life up pretty good. I'm not, I'm not a mess like that guy over there. Now I suddenly don't need humility because I'm not a sinner. Right? If, that, if, that's, if that's the only reason we have, if that's all we're going to hang this on, I'm telling you, that's not, I mean, that is a reason, but that's not the chief reason. We're created by God. We're created for Him to be the all-encompassing focus of our attention. So we ought to be humble. We ought not to rise or put ourselves up above where we are. I actually think the third reason is the most compelling of all. I read you the verse. Have this mind that was the same that Christ Jesus had. So think just for a second. Let's make a logical statement just for a second. I know we don't win the day with using logic all the time, but let's make a logical statement. Was Jesus humble? Did Jesus sin? So clearly the driving motivator for humility cannot be our sinfulness. If we are to be like Christ, which is to say we're redeemed so we can become more and more like him, then we are to be humble, for that is the defining characteristic of Jesus. Do we have some work to do? Do we have some stuff to work through this week? Let me just back each of these up. I'm going to just kind of walk through Scripture. You're going to see all three of these reasons coming out as to why we are to be humble, or at least I'm, my attempt is to support the claims that I've just made, so you don't think I'm just saying stuff for no reason. God created everything, right? In the beginning, God, there was nothing, and God created everything. And he created, he created light, he created stars, he created heavenly bodies. It's not going to be an exhaustive list. He created water, he separated things, he brought land out, he brought trees, he brought plants, he brought animals. And finally, at, the, at sort of the, what we would maybe say the pinnacle of creation, he said, let's make man in our image. Let's create man in our image. And so he did so. He made them male and female. He created them, God, the Bible says, Right? As we go down the pages of Scripture, we read things like this. When the psalmist is marveling about God and His glory, we read this in Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. So all of all the rest of God's creation, I mean, I'm, I'm using this verse to tell you, all the rest of God's creation proclaims the glory of God. All the rest of God's creation, it doesn't use the word humility, but is, but is in a place where it exists to point to its Creator. That's what, that's what all the rest of creation does. So I say that only to reinforce that we should not think ourselves in that regard any different from the rest of God's creation. That he created us to similarly, similarly, we can similarly point to God and give him all of our glory and all of our worship. 
The heavens declare the glory of God, and Jesus said, even if you guys are quiet, what's going to happen? The rocks will cry out because that's what they do. The heavens declare the glory of God. When Paul came to the Athenian people and they were meeting together discussing all kinds of great ideas and he was looking for some way to reach into their world and tell them about Jesus, he used this line. He says, in him, in God. He's talking about who God is. He said, you might think he's far off, but he's not that far off. In him, we live and move and have our being. In God, or you could say in Jesus, I can make that case, although that's not the point of the sermon this morning. In him, we live excuse me, and move, and we have our being, which means if you exist, it's because of God. If you continue to exist, it's because of God. If you get anything accomplished, it's because of God. Those things form the bedrock of us pointing to the fact that we are nothing, God is everything. In fact, this is, this is not a quotation. This is a line that I came up with uh, that I think I would like to use to summarize. If, in fact, God is the creator, we understand from Scripture that he is the creator and all of creation's glory is to be nothing so that he might be everything. All of creation's glory, this is the glory of creation, not, not the... Hear this. It's not the, the, the dread of creation or the dreary part or like, oh, man, I got... No, no. It is the glory of creation to be nothing so that he might be everything. You see, we're already out of step with that because at some fundamental level in our sinful selves, we don't agree with that. I mean, let's just be honest. Our flesh does not agree with that, that it is my glory to be nothing so that God can be everything unless we've been redeemed and trans changed by the Spirit of God. Following this pattern through then, we understand that though God created all of his creation to point to him, and I would say, use the word humility, to, to be humble before him, to let him be everything, even though that's how he created that, it didn't last very long, or at least from our pages in the Bible, it didn't last very long, right? Because it wasn't too long, we know that Satan uncovered himself before God, and he was cast down, and he came with a temptation to Eve, and when Eve gave in to her temptation, her temptation was that if you eat from this tree then you too will be like God and know the difference between good and evil and Adam ate just along with her. And you understand what just happened right there because what's the key phrase? Then you too will be like God. Suddenly move from it is my glory to be nothing so that God could be everything to say I want a piece of that glory. I would like to elevate myself to a place that's a little more alongside of God. We call that, what do you call it? Somebody said it. That's pride. That's pride. You know, the statement has been made that all of our sins can be traced back to pride in some way. I happen to think that way because I think the original sin that happened was an issue of pride. And I also think that way because of the point I just made. If we were created to be humble before God, that he might be everything, then the first sin committed was to remove that and say, I will no longer be humble. I will be proud. I will lift myself up. And through the pages of the Bible, through the ages of history, and right down into your and my little world and my little hearts and flesh as we were born, we came with the same set of problems. Pride. It is no longer my glory to let God be everything. I want a little bit of that. I want a little bit of that attention. I want a little bit of that, 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 that thought that people are having. I want a little bit of that, that credit for what's happening. I want, a, I want a little bit of that right to make a decision. I want a little bit of that, that, 
that push through to say, this is what I'm going to do and have no consequences. Pride reared its ugly head. Humility was lost. Humility was gone. Now, as you read the Bible, I told you I'm going to read some Bible verses, so I should do that. As you read the Bible, we understand that God chose the people of Israel. He made them into a nation. He wanted them to be humble before him, led by him, totally dependent upon him. That's another good definition of humility is to be totally dependent on, uh, on God. As he did that, they didn't do so well, just like all the rest of humanity doesn't do so well. They didn't do so well. And in Ezekiel, I want to just read a couple of verses. We could go lots of places, but there's one chapter uh, that kind of contains a couple of references. I flipped there. I'm going to put the verses on the screen that I'm going to refer to. But in Ezekiel, God, we read that God has punished Israel. He has scattered them. He has, he has said, fine, you don't want to be humble before me. You want to be living in pride. I'll give you the results of your pride. Off you go, bringing nations in. But then in Ezekiel, in chapter 28 of Ezekiel, I mean, he doesn't start there. He's already been doing it. But in 28 of Ezekiel, he says, let me also have a word for those who in their own pride thought, oh, look at us. We took over these Israelites. And he gives a, a message to, uh, initially it's the prince of Tyre and then the king of Tyre and then one against Sidon as well. Tyre and Sidon are little nations, little city-states that were just to the uh, northwest of Israel there. He says this in verse 2. Listen to the words God uses. I'm, I'm using this to reinforce what God thinks about us in our pride. God says, because your heart is proud and you have said, I am a God, I sit in the seat of gods, in the heart of the seas, yet you are but a man and no God. And he goes on to say what he's going to do with the Prince of Tyre. He follows through and says, this is how I'm going to treat you. This is what I'm going to do to you. But the key here I want to bring out is this is what God has readily identified to us. That we as men and women, as people, as humans, we have said in our hearts, I want to be like God. We have forgotten to be humble. Now, just keep on traveling a few more verses. Uh, down in verse uh, 17, he says this now. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. Now, a little moment of context here, please. Because many people, I, I think maybe even most, but I just say with many, many Bible scholars will tell you that this passage is in fact not just talking sort of a general thing about people, but a very specific thing about Satan. But I will also tell you, though I believe that to be true, I think we would be remiss in thinking that God is somehow going to say, well, that was true for Satan. But when my creation, other creation, raises its head and is, is prideful and doesn't humble themselves before me anymore, well, then I'm going to be, I'm going to be different. About, I'm going to think differently about that. Your heart was proud. You corrupted wisdom for the sake of splendor, and I will cast you to the ground. Now, as he goes on and speaks what he's going to do to these neighboring nations, there's a little key verse that's tucked away towards the very end of that. Because it displays the motivation and reinforces why I think this is a conversation about humility. He says at the very end, he says, I'm doing all those things so that then they will know that I am the Lord. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Is it possible? Is it possible that events both good and bad happen in our lives and are meant to lead our hearts to a place of humility that says, I know that God is the Lord. Just a 
point of encouragement, he turns his attention just a couple of verses later, and he talks about how he's going to regather Israel, how he's going to bring them back in and establish them in a place, in a land of safety and of fruitfulness. And he says the same line as this right here, because one is a punishment to the other nations, and one is a regathering of Israel. He says the same line, except there's actually a word different. It says, then they will know that I am their Lord. Then they will know that I am their Lord. Which brings me to the place where we have to recognize. So we kind of covered creation. This is the sinful part. But it kind of brings me to the fact that we understand from Scripture that God saw our sinfulness. He saw our inability to make ourselves right with Him because it's never going to happen. We don't have enough good in us. We're never going to pay the right price. or do. It's, it, we are helpless. And God, because He loved us so much, wrote the story in a way that would send Himself, His Son, down to earth to us. This is the gospel, but you should always be happy to hear the gospel. That Jesus came into the world sent by his Father to accomplish a very specific task, and that task was to redeem the souls of mankind, of those who had strayed away, but God loved so much and desired that his creation would truly honor him and have relationship with him and be able to spend all of eternity enjoying God in all of his fullness, to let it be our glory to be nothing so that he could be everything. That's what's going to be true in, in heaven, by the way. And God sent Jesus down. He came as a humble servant. We're going to talk a lot about this tonight. He came as a humble servant. He gave his life. He gave his life blood. He was the only fitting sacrifice. Through pain and torture and suffering and a laying down of his will, Jesus looked at you and I and all the rest of mankind and said, my Father sent me to redeem you. My Father sent me to change what's happening in your life and your heart so that you can go back away from a position of pride to a position of humility. That's, that's the way I'm going to explain it this morning. To go away from a position of pride as you were originally uh, after the fall. I'm sorry. You were humble to start with. You fell into pride to take you out of that again. I've stumbled around a bit there, so hopefully you can catch what I meant there to bring you back to a place of humility before God, your rightful place. Romans 5.19 says, As by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Just like with the one man, Adam, the first Adam, the one in the garden, just like with one man's disobedience, many, or you could say all, were made sinners, so by another one man, Jesus, the second Adam, many will be made righteous. Now, I'll tell you, I love this verse. There's, this verse is about humility still because the word obedience and disobedience, the Greek for that word is hupakuo, which means to hear under, if I can put those words. Akuo is to hear, to listen. And listening certainly carries the, the idea of obedience, but hupo is the, the operative word there. It means to be under. If you look at any word that has anything to do with the realm of humility in Scripture in the New Testament, it's going to come with a prefix of hupo in front of it. Hupo many, to stay under. Uh, to submit, that word is to hupo, is part of that word. This is to listen under, to hear under, to submit under, to align yourself under. That's the word, hupotasso, to place yourself under. That's to be, to be that's, I think that's submitted actually. Um, getting my Greek all mixed up. I'll have to talk to Anthony afterwards to see which one I got right and wrong. Obedience is a matter of humility. 
That's what this is telling us. Obedience is a matter of humility. Will I yield my head and be obedient or will I raise my head and say, no, there's a different way. I don't want to do it that way. And by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. That's, that's how sin came in. But by one man's obedience, Jesus Christ's obedience, his listening under, his submission, his humility, the many will be made righteous. Listen, let me read some verses to you. These are incredible verses. These are probably verses you know. These might be verses you claim sometimes. These verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul opens up his letter, and he talks about uh, coming to them. He talks about forgiving the sinner, triumph in Christ. And then he opens up this fantastic dialogue that's going to go through a whole number of chapters in 2 Corinthians, at least our chapters. They weren't chapters for him. He just wrote the letter. But he starts talking about the new covenant. He starts talking about what God has done through Jesus Christ now. And he's starting to compare the old with the new. And he said, the old brought death. The old was no good, brought death. The new brings life. The new brings hope. The new brings glory. Again, he's going to use that word glory because we're talking about God's glory, us needing salvation because we wanted our own glory, us come to realize we don't have it. Jesus bringing us to a place where we can restore ourselves to bringing glory to God only. He says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I should just start reading the the text instead of talking. Verse 12, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. This is redemption we're talking about. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Amazing, wonderful verses. Incredible verses. They, they, they hint to us, or they don't even they do more than hint. They tell us that there is a hope for us to have Christ dwelling in us and that we can become more like Christ. Amazing. But let me ask you, usually when we read these verses, I don't know what you usually are thinking of or how it's usually presented, but in my experience, it's almost always that this is some great elevation thing. Like we are suddenly, look at us. We're like going to become like Christ in this glory and, and all this glory. And in our humanity, I think that kind of starts slipping off the rails a lot of times. Let me ask you. I already answered this for you, but let me ask you. Make sure you're paying attention. If we become more like Christ, we're going to become more what? We're going to become more humble. We're going to become more lowered. We're going to become more sent. We're going to become more deferential to people who need Jesus, to people who need to grow in Jesus. Now, that may sound kind of weird to you. Because that doesn't mean we're yielding or we're like giving ground or we're like, I'm not talking about like, I'm not talking about any of that. If you keep reading 2 Corinthians, by the way, you'll get what, you should maybe do that. Read, keep on reading. You'll get what Paul is talking about. He's saying, I want you to understand that you have this incredible treasure. Yes, it's in jars of clay. So that people would know that the all-surpassing glory, glory, all-surpassing credit, all-surpassing greatness comes from God and not from us. And in those same verses, he talks about what he will do, the lengths he will go to to bring someone to Jesus. He uses phrases like, I will be beaten and punished. It's worth it. I will go without food. 
it's worth it. I will resolve to only doing things with integrity and right and through love. It's worth it. I will rely only on the Word of God. No cunning stuff, no trickery, no deceitfulness, only the Word of God, right hand and left hand, weapons of righteousness, so that they might know Jesus. I will let death work in me so that life can work in them. Does that sound like glory stuff? Does that sound like humility? In God's kingdom, there's no difference for us. That is what I believe God wants to get through to our hearts and our heads and our lives. In God's kingdom, there is no difference. It is our glory. It is our joy. It is our privilege to be nothing so that God can be everything. Are we there? Is that where your heart's at? Is that what you're thinking inside of you? That it's my joy to be nothing. I didn't say think less of yourself, by the way, because that's actually also not a comp, because you're still thinking about yourself. I said to become nothing, to be nothing so that God could be everything. This is not about downgrading us and, and oh, I'm such an awful person, because that's going back to like, it's just because I'm sinful. No, I'm God's creation. And furthermore, I'm redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ so I can take my rightful place as God's servant and as a servant to the people I live with. Romans 13, 14. It's been one of my favorite verses for a long time. It brings on new meaning as we tackle this subject. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on Jesus. And make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That's humility. That's humility right there. Doesn't use the word, but that's what that's talking about. Put on Jesus. Hide yourself in Jesus. Make sure Jesus is all that's there and don't think about how you can satisfy this. And again, that can come from bragging about yourself or that can come from being depressed about how bad you are because it's still a focus on me. The goal is to think about Jesus and God when we become captivated by how amazing he is, then we're moving towards humility. When he becomes greater and I become nothing, I think I've heard that line somewhere before. I think it was John the Baptist. He must increase, I must decrease. When we start walking that journey, we're on the way to humility. There's a lot of things that obviously need to be teased out, fleshed out. I'd like to just show us again this morning these three reasons from Scripture we understand, because you and I were created by God, He is our creator. It is our glory to be humble before Him. Because we're sinful, we understand even more clearly the need for humility. Because we fall so far short of God's glory, we are to be humble. But furthermore, when we come to the amazing unbelievable reality of the redemption of Jesus Christ and that we have been set free from sin and we will live eternally with our creator, it's not a reason for us to shook all that off. It's to say, now I really know I am called to be humble. I'm called to serve. I'm called to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love my neighbor as myself. I'm here to be humble like my Savior Jesus, like my leader Jesus, Tonight, we're going to spend a lot more time talking about Jesus. I'd like to examine humility in the life of Jesus and in the teachings of Jesus and in the redemption of Jesus more closely. I do hope you'll come back. This laid a lot of groundwork. There's a lot of things that have to be fleshed out and talked about still. 
I do hope you'll be here for that. I close with the encouragement that we are to have the mind of Christ. Just a final exhortation. You may stand this morning as we finish out, as we just be reminded. Maybe something for you to continue to ponder and wrestle with as the afternoon goes on, as you prepare your hearts. I think, I think the Lord wants nothing less than to lead us to the very place where we will brutally, honestly, by His aid, the Holy Spirit's aid, assess whether there's humility in our lives or where we need more humility in our lives and respond accordingly. So my only exhortation is that if you have experienced any love from Jesus Christ, from the Father above, any comfort from being with Him, united with Him, any, any participation in the Holy Spirit and what it means to be part of the body, then uh, it's time to, to walk deeper into what Paul would say is the crown jewel of following Jesus, and it's right here. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, the humility of Jesus Christ. God, thank you so much. As we leave this place, we invite you to continue working in our hearts. We give you praise. We give you praise, God. The fact that we can be here today and talk about these things is such an incredible privilege. Not to be taken lightly. The fact that we can come into your presence through the blood of Jesus Christ is such an amazing gift not to be taken lightly. The fact that we are not left alone, but that we have one who intercedes for us. The fact that we have a Holy Spirit that you have poured out on us, that you said, in fact, would take up residence inside of us, and that would remind us where we're wrong, it would guide us in the truth, would, would lead us in the way we should go, and help us to be prepared as a, and, and be a down payment inside us for the return of Jesus Christ. God, that is mind-blowing. Thank you. It is far more than we could ever have really put to words or visualized or thought about or given adequate uh, honor to but what we can do is to say, God, we understand from all of this that you must get greater, that you must increase. The glory of who you are and what you've done must be, must be proclaimed more from us and must be demonstrated more from our lives, which means we must shrink back and we must become nothing. And we have seen that the truth is there in your word about that, so we want to invite you to continue working in our hearts toward that end. God, I know you've already been doing this, and I don't make any bones just now sort of stepping out of this, God, to be real about who I am and, and, and who I'm talking to. I don't make any, I, I, have, no, I have no qualms about saying, uh, like, there's, there's, there's ones here who are further along this journey than I am, and I'm grateful for that. But every one of us can take more steps down that road. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you be filled with